0: Today we continue in the series that I'm calling Unstable, but we're trying to think about how to take that prefix off and to think about real stability that our world doesn't provide. And And we can think about instability being caused by a whole host of different forces. Sometimes they're personal, right? They affect me and my life and my family. Maybe we experience a diagnosis from a doctor that really threatens the health of someone in our family, or we experience a death, someone that really we're attached to, and they sort of define who we are in some ways, and then they're gone And we're not sure how to live life under those circumstances because nothing will ever be the same. You know, any life transition can make us feel unstable. Maybe it's school to college, college to work, or work to retirement. Wherever we are in that process, as we're making one of those transitions, things feel unstable because again, they're not going to be the way that they once were. We can't really go back again. And so all those forces are at work making us feel unstable, and sometimes it's things that are sort of far out of our lives that are much bigger and affecting a lot more people. And today I want us to think especially about how the power structures of our world can sometimes make us feel unstable. You know, if you get involved in any kind of new organization, whether it's a new job or maybe a new church, or you're serving in some community organization, one of the things that a lot of people want to know is... Who's in charge, right? Who's got the authority in this organization? Because leadership determines so much about the future of any organization. And we sort of want to know if if I've got a question, who do I go to? If I need direction, if I'm looking for what's next, who do I ask? Who's in charge? As we think about that on a big scale, we look around our world and maybe even in our own nation and look at the political structures that are there and we want to know, Who's in charge? And maybe our bigger question is why are are those people in charge, right? I mean, sometimes we look at the politics in our country and go, does this really represent the best and the brightest that our nation has to offer? And maybe we're even a little bit afraid of who is running things. We look on the world stage and it might even get scarier because we look around the world and see that there's some some decent people who have a lot of power and there's some really scary people who have tons of power and it makes us feel unsettled. And spiritually we think about that too. There are forces that work against us and for us and we can sometimes feel the pull of both good and evil in our lives and those power structures can make us feel unsettled because we're, we're not sure where everything is headed. And so how do we find stability in the midst of all that. Well, today, to get at that, I want us to turn to the book of Colossians. It's a great letter. It's really short. You know, if you want to read through a whole book of the Bible, it's a good one to choose, just four chapters. It's pretty accessible because Paul's dealing with a really specific problem in the church in Colossae. He's writing to a group of Christians that he's never met, okay? They came to faith by someone Paul had taught, was from Colossae, he took his faith back, and then they became Christians, but Paul's heard about a problem in the church. He's heard that they have been taught that there are sort of special methods, practices that they should pursue that will lead them to God. Okay, if you do these certain things, then that can take you to God. And Paul's message, really from beginning to end, but especially the first couple chapters of Colossians is this, Jesus is enough. Okay, It's pretty simple. Jesus really is all we need. If we want to know God, if we want to experience forgiveness and eternal salvation, Jesus is always enough. And so he's making the case that Jesus is everything we need. We don't need some special knowledge that some group has or some special secret practice that another group has. What we need is Jesus. And so in the middle of chapter 1, he lays out why Jesus is the one that we need. And it's really become one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible and certainly in the New Testament because of what it says about Jesus in just a few verses. It sort of lifts up the name of Jesus, I think in a way that almost no other passage in the New Testament does. It really tells us who Jesus is in just a few words in a powerful way that helps us to see that Jesus really is Jesus enough. This is how Paul begins that. We're in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. He says, the Son, we're talking about Jesus, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. We see that word image. That's a word that, I mean, it's very common in our culture because we see all kinds of images, right? They are everywhere. We look on our phones. We're going to see all kinds of images. That's what Facebook, Instagram, all kinds of social media are about is images. We see images on our screen this morning, images on signs in this building. We read the news, watch the news, all kinds of images that communicate things to us. And, and Paul is saying Jesus is an image. We see God in him. Now, we use images in a number of ways. Images can be tools for us. Like on Sunday morning, you may not have ever noticed this, but, you know, I stand in the back out here and sort of face this way, and there's a lot of glass in front of me. Well, that glass forms a perfect rearview mirror for that hallway down there, so I know who's sneaking up behind me, okay? So if I run when you come up, there's probably a reason. But we use images like that, right? They, They show us who's there. They show us something that's happening. And Paul is saying that Jesus is the image of God. And by that, he means we see God through Jesus. Now, God has revealed himself in lots of different ways in Scripture. And we can look in the Old Testament and see God shows up to Moses in a burning bush. We can see that three men visit Abraham and Sarah with the news that they're going to have a son in their old age. That's an image of God. We see God appearing on the mountain before the people of Israel. All kinds of ways that God has revealed who He is to His people. But what Paul is saying is that none of them are as complete as Jesus. We're going to see a little more about that before we finish the passage. But the point is, Paul's letting them know, if you want to see God... Look at Jesus. But that, because that will always be the clearest and best picture of God that we as humans have. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now that's a little confusing because we hear that and go, okay, well, well, is Paul saying that Jesus was created? Well, no, that's not what he's saying. In fact, he's going to make that clearer as we go through the passage. But his point is that he is. Firstborn, firstborn was the most important child in the ancient world, right? So that's what he's getting at. The most important over creation. So Jesus stands over creation. Jesus chose to become part of that creation in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. But he stands over. He is Lord of creation. Now we're going to see Jesus has labeled of, as Lord or head of several things in this passage. But this is a big one because this is the whole physical order and Paul's going to go even beyond that. So let's go to verse 16. He says for in him in Jesus all things were created. And when we think about creation, we think about Genesis 1 and 2, we think about God. God created this, God created that. God spoke it into existence. But what Paul is saying here, and what we read from in the first chapter of John that we studied a few months ago, is that Jesus was present in creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So Paul is saying, Not only was Jesus there at creation, okay. so when we talk about God's Word going out and bringing forth things that are in creation, we're talking about Jesus, but they were created for Him. He is Lord over all of that. And so He stands Lord over everything that there is, and Paul takes it a step further. He says, not only what you can see, but what you can't see. Jesus is Lord over the visible and the invisible. The powers that are at work in our world, whether they are physical, political authorities or whether they are spiritual authorities, Jesus stands as Lord over all those things. And creation was made by him and for him. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. When we studied John chapter 1, one of the sort of technical terms that I used was the pre-existence of Jesus, meaning before creation was, Jesus was. Now last week we talked about the the beginning of this whole series and that everything was going to be built on what I taught last week, which was God was, God is, and God always will be. That's what keeps us settled, secure in an unstable world. But what we're saying here, what Paul's telling us is God was, and Jesus was with him. From before the beginning, Jesus was there. And part of what Paul is communicating to us is Jesus is part of God. Now, this is confusing stuff because we're dealing with the very nature of God. We're dealing with God being Trinity. Now, the Bible never uses that word, but we see God showing up in the form of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And He's always God, even though He's three persons. And man, we get lost in that because it's a lot to understand. But it's not surprising that the nature of God would be beyond our understanding, right? Because He's God. He's beyond us. So here we see that showing up again in the nature of who Jesus is. In in Him, all things hold together. So He was before creation. He was active in creation. And He sustains creation. It's like Paul saying, if it weren't for Jesus, it would all fall apart. So he's Lord of everything that is visible and invisible. Lord of creation. And then verse 18, Paul goes to the next step. And he is head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among, among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So he's Lord of creation, but he's also head of the church, his body. Now A few weeks ago, we talked about the fact that there is One body of Christ. And when we try to separate God's body out into different groups, we've got it all wrong. Because Jesus has one body. When he was living on earth as a human being, he had one body. And now we, the church, the followers of Jesus, are that one body at work in the world. And who is the head who animates and directs the life of the body? Jesus. And when we want to know what we should do, we should look to the example of Jesus. When we want to figure out what it means to be the body of Christ, we should look to Jesus. So Jesus is Lord of creation. He's head of the body. And in that same verse, He is firstborn among the dead. Now that doesn't sound pleasant. So what are we talking about? What we're talking about is not death, but the defeat of death. Jesus is the firstborn really of resurrection. He comes back from the dead. You might say, well, hang on a second. I know in the Old Testament, there's at least a handful of examples of people who were raised from the dead. I know there are a couple people that Jesus himself raises from the dead. So how is Jesus the firstborn from the dead? Well, Jesus' resurrection is a whole different thing. It's of a different order. The people in the Old Testament, the people Jesus even raised himself, their bodies still aged, they still died. But Jesus' resurrection is different. It is a resurrection beyond death. So that death has no effect. And the point is, he's pointing forward to our resurrection. That there is life for us. He's the firstborn, the down payment, the sign that there is more to come. And that more to come is the fact that he's defeated death for us. So that we too will be raised with him to eternal life. Lord of creation, head of the church, firstborn from the dead. You see what Paul is saying there. He's helping us see that Jesus is the greatest sign that we have of who God is. He says at the end of the verse, so that in everything, he might have the supremacy. So who is greater than Jesus? What is more powerful than Jesus? The answer is always no one, nothing. Nothing. It's an elevated sense of the nature of who Jesus is. Verses 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It's one of those places where in just a few words, someone in Scripture, and sometimes we see Jesus do this, we see John do this in John 3, 16 and 17. Here we see Paul do this in uh, Colossians 1, 19 and 20, where the whole Gospel is sort of boiled down to just a few words, and this is one of the the best places to turn. If you want to know what the good news of Jesus is all about, here it is. That that God chose that the fullness of who He is was present in Jesus. So, what Paul's telling us is this, that yes, Jesus was a human being. He had a body just like we have bodies. He needed food, he needed water, he needed to sleep, he needed to exercise, all the things that we need. And yet, he was also completely, fully God. The fullness of God was in Jesus the very best picture of who God is we have in Jesus Christ. There is nothing more that we need to know about God than the life of Jesus, the fullness. Everything there is of God was present in this man, Jesus of Nazareth. What did he do with that? That's what verse 20 is all about. Through him to reconcile to himself all things. Now that's not exactly what we expect that verse to say. Because what what we sort of expect it to say is that Jesus reconciled to Himself all people, right? I mean, isn't that Jesus' mission? To bring all people to Him for forgiveness and eternal life. He's inviting every single human being to Him to offer to them forgiveness and eternal life. But Paul says all things including all people. He's saying that Jesus is inviting all of creation back to God to become what God intended from the beginning. To make it like it should be. And He's looking forward to when He returns. To reconcile all of creation back to God. Whether things on earth, things in heaven, and how did He do it, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. You see, it had to be that way. It had to involve death. It had to be Jesus, God, the fullness of everything that is God in this human being, and He had to be willing to go to death, death on a cross. And because Jesus was willing to do that, we are brought back into a relationship with God. So what does this say to us? As we're in, in a world that there are powers at work in our lives and powers at work in the world that make us feel unstable, unsettled, what does this passage, Colossians 1, 15-20, what does it say to us? I, I think it's summed up a very simple sentence. Jesus is Lord of all. And though it may like, look like there are all kinds of powers that are at work in our world, seen and unseen, physical and spiritual, visible and invisible, Jesus is Lord of all those things. And in the end that will be made clear. Now, this was a this was a bold statement to make in the 1st century. For Paul to put down on paper in words so that anybody could read them that Jesus is Lord of all, greater than any power visible or invisible, That's a dangerous statement to make. Because in the first century, in the Mediterranean, there's one Lord. There is one person who said that he was Lord of all, and it's Caesar. It's the Roman emperor. Everyone bows their knee to Caesar, no matter who they are, no matter what position they have, Caesar is Lord. In fact, he was considered a god. And here's Paul saying, nope. No, it's not Caesar. It's not this political power. It's not the Roman army. It's Jesus. And sometimes we may look in our world and say, man, it's messed up. There's stuff going on I don't understand, stuff going on that I don't like. Well, just remember, these people who received this letter are living under the rule of the Roman Empire. And there has been very little that's been more corrupt than that. And Paul's message to them was, whatever you see around you, whatever makes you afraid, whatever makes you feel unstable, Jesus is Lord of even that. And I think there are a couple implications of all this that I want us to think about real quickly. The first is that we can participate in the kingdom of God now. Jesus was proclaimed king on the cross with a crown of thorns and a robe thrown on his back. And so the kingdom of God is at work now. And so we get to participate in what God is doing. And even though there are all kinds of powers at work in our world that that sometimes are unsettling, the good news of the Gospel is that the kingdom of God is at work within us and that we have been called to participate in what God wants through His body of which Jesus is the head. And so when we think about, okay... How do we live as the body of Christ? We look to the example of Jesus, and we show kindness as Jesus did, and we show compassion as Jesus did, and we care for those in need just as Jesus did, and we speak what is true and right just like Jesus did. And through that, we are participating in the work of God because Jesus is Lord. And even though it's unsettling to see all these things that are going on around us, We are confident that we're participating in the very work of God, even in the face of all that. And the second implication is that what we see around us is not all there is. And Paul says that. He talks about the invisible and the visible. But Jesus is Lord over all of it. And so God's Spirit is at work in us, even today, as the body of Jesus, to do His work. And so, even when we see powerful forces at work in our world, whether it's something like the power of death and sin, or whether it's some political power that we don't understand and maybe scares us a little bit, there's something more at work. The power of God is at work. In us, through His Spirit, as the body of Jesus. So when all this makes you feel unsettled, unstable, one of the answers that we give to that instability is that whatever's going on, Jesus is Lord. Let's pray together. Now we do get afraid sometimes in our world. Afraid when powerful forces affect us, when we feel it. Afraid when we look around our world and see bad things that are happening on a massive scale. God, help us to put our faith in the one who is the image of you, our invisible God, that image at work among us. And help us to be your body with the head that's Jesus, and help us to look forward to the hope that we find from the firstborn from the dead. We pray it all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.